Welcome to NucleCast, the official podcast of the Anwar Deterrence Center. Our host is Dr. Adam Laufel, co-founder and vice president for research at the National Institute for Deterrence Studies. The Anwar Deterrence Center is a 501c3 organization ensuring a broader understanding of the nation's strategic nuclear deterrence and its ongoing modernization. Thank you for listening and welcome to the show. The views of the host and the guests are their own. Welcome back to another exciting episode of NuclearCast. Of course, I am your host, as always, Adam Lowther. And today we have two great guests, Dr. Ernest Gunasekara Rockwell and Dr. Laura Thurston Goodrow. Now, Ernest and Laura are, of course, friends and colleagues of mine that I wanted to have on NuclearCast because it's it's a topic that we don't often talk about. And that, of course, is the importance of professional writing. And so Ernest is the editor of the Journal of Indo-Pacific Affairs, and Laura is the editor of what formerly was Strategic Studies Quarterly. So for those of you that have been around the Air Force for a long time, and it is now Ether, and it you know made some changes to refocus on more air power and Air Force-specific strategic issues. And then don't you also edit ASOR? as well aren't do you do you yeah both of them air and space operations review and so these are sort of three important publications for the air force in its professional writing and professional publishing so thanks for joining us on nuclecast so i wanted to have you guys on you know, our, our audience, our listening audience tends to be senior folks across the nuclear enterprise. And we oftentimes talk with general officers and lab directors, and we talk about contemporary issues going on across the nuclear enterprise. But one of the things that I think is oftentimes undervalued is our ability as a enterprise to effectively write and capture what's happening and capture it for longevity, you know, beyond, you know, perhaps a, a speech we gave to a group or a presentation at a meeting, because it's, you know, we, we have a sense of our history and a sense of what works and what doesn't through much of the Air Force's professional writing. And then we also are able to create lessons learned and to understand the past and to make better decisions about the future through that writing. So for you guys, this this is at least my reading of why we do what we do and why publishing is so important. So Laura, why don't you kick us off? As you think about the two journals, one's ASOR sort of an operationally focused journal and Ether is the more strategic what is it that you're hoping to get out of these journals? And, you know, what sort of request would you have for the, you know, the community, the air power community, the nuclear community in encouraging them to write for you and contribute? So thanks. I think um, from a really, you know, 35,000 foot, as they say, view, I think one of the key um, roles that, that our journals play for air university press. And, um, I was at parameters before, um, the military journals, they play 
and they kind of bridge, help the military bridge that gap into civilian academe. And the, I think that's a very specific role of the military journals because we're not public affairs. I mean, from the, from, from the start, I think there's a very widespread misconception um, even among active duty, senior active duty officers that um, what Air University Press, for example, does is just, you know, we just publish, you know, books that general officers want to write and that somehow, you know, we only say the party line or we only allow the party line. And it's just not true. Um, in our charter, it's very clear that we have academic freedom. Um, so that's that's one of my main messages I want to get out. You know, I, I think there's that aspect of it. And then the journals, like I said before, they kind of bridge a really interesting gap between uh, civilian and military academia. So PME, and then, you know, once someone goes and gets a, you know, a higher degree and then they come back and they're writing, maybe they're still active duty, but they have a PhD or they're writing about something. And then that space, the journal space operates as like a common ground for them to have a higher level conversation about policy or about operations with civilian academics who also study in a Western society. The military is not a, a separate part. We're, we're all together. And so I, my view is that the journals function as kind of a meeting place for those two voices. Yeah, that's an, you know, it's, it's one of the things I like, you know, about the military's professional journals is that they offer sort of a unique space to write in, you know, a peer reviewed place that looks, you know, you know, traditional military or traditional civilian academic journals, they're highly theoretical. It's, you know, the methodology is the primary focus and, but you don't get a lot of the application of, whatever, you know, these theories, whereas professional military journals apply it and analyze it in a empirical way. And they do that in a very useful way that I think communicates to civilian academics. You know, we, we tried your theory and then here's, you know, here's the result. And so to me, it, it sort of meets a niche that isn't met anywhere else. Now, with the Journal of Indo-Pacific Affairs, you know, your charter, you have so, sort of a similar charter as a military journal, but you're also different. Can you explain for us, you know, sort of what those differences are and what you're hoping to achieve? Yeah, sure. We're, we're, we're kind of a niche, obviously, um, but, uh, you know, we, we try to paint our uh, picture on a, a larger canvas uh, because we're reaching out to our, our friends and allies throughout the Indo-Pacific writ large, uh, obviously, you know, from the west coast of the Americas all the way to the east coast of Africa and Antarctica up to the Arctic. So we're dealing with a, a you know, a, a pretty diverse uh, range of readership, but also uh, in terms of our authors, uh, we try to get uh, diplomats and, um, you know, high-ranking military uh, professionals from throughout the region to, to contribute to our uh, publication. And, you know, all of us do that to some extent, but that's, yeah, it's really our, our thing uh, from the, from the get go. And what we try to do is uh, a little bit of alchemy, if you will. Um, you know, we try to take the, the, the best from the ivory tower, the best from the military silos and mix them into this uh, concoction. Then that comes out as gold uh, when we, when we put it out there in print 
and, uh, and, and, and then has some value then for all of the different communities that are contributing uh, and, and consuming our, our, um, our publication. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're trying to drive the, the narrative, but we're also trying to, to push the envelope in, in you know, prescribing uh, policy for decision makers, both those in uniform and, and those, uh, you know, in suits. And, and, and dresses throughout the, the Indo-Pacific, right? Um, and, and like Laura said, you know, we're, we're not pushing a party line. Um, yeah, truth be told, I'm obviously, you know, not, not very keen on uh, the, the uh, regime in Beijing. And I, I, I dare say that there is some editorial voice that, that creeps through uh, in, in that regard. But uh, we, we do try to be a, a medium for uh, intellectual discussion that brings together, you know, theorists and operationists, operation, operators into a, a conversation that, that, that has purpose and, and not just a, not just a, hey, look at my name on in print. Isn't that great? Uh, at, at the end of the day, we want it to mean something and, and to mean something for all of the communities that are uh, you know, being a part of this endeavor. So if, as you look sort of at military publishing, the for some of the military presses, the last handful of years is, you know, I remember when, what was it, RMD 706? Was that, or uh, whenever we had the sequestration, what was it called? I'm drawing a blank now. Uh, sequestration, you know, 10 years ago. And we, you know, we took cuts everywhere. And, you know, the the military presses that, you know, are responsible for the professional journals, they, they took their cuts as well. And, you know, the years have been lean because there's always this sort of this debate between education and operations. And, you know, should we focus all the money on operations or should we have some for education? It's, it's, it's a timeless debate and question that I don't think we're going to solve. But I, I wonder as you were to, if you were to make the case for why, professional journals, you know, for each of the services, you know, for, you know, uh, you know, for the joint staff, for, you know, NDU, you know, we've, we've, there's professional journals throughout why they're important. And, you know, you had that chance to stand before, you know, the chairman of the joint chiefs, the air force chief of staff, who, whomever it might be, what would be your argument? And for the listeners, you know, what would be your argument as to why they should consistently read those journals? Laura, do you want to go ahead and take sure. that question first? Sure. Although the next question, Ernest, you're going to get the next one first. <laughs> well, you know, sort of in, in brief, again, I go back to that conversation that I think is critical um, between our civilian society and our military society. And I think there's a strong history in Western militaries. Uh, the UK is one, for example, where having an educated um, officer corps, and now it's expanding to the enlisted corps, having an educated military force has benefit in a Western society because you want people to think. You want people to be critical thinkers. And I hear all the time from uh, PME, um, enlisted PME leaders and, and faculty who say, how do I get, you know, our younger military um, airmen 
or guardians into publishing? How do we get them engaged? Because it's really important that they're part of this conversation and they're thinking at those higher levels. So I would say that fundamentally, it's not a program office. It's not flashy. Um, but we come we come very uh, reasonably priced now. So, <laughs> uh, and then uh, in terms of you asked why it would be important for people to read, I think just because it you it broadens your view. It doesn't you know if you're reading about a particular topic, and it has to do with foreign policy, or security affairs at any level. Um, if you're only reading a civilian journal and you're not getting the military perspective. I think you're not getting the full um, weight of that. Or, you know, you can list, you can, a lot of think tank um, people are former military or have been in PME or have been in, connected with the military, but not everyone. And, um, you know, that, that voice is important. And actually, I was just on a, um, I did my own podcast a couple hours ago and the individual that I spoke with um, who is now a colonel, he was in his, PhD program, I think, a master's or PhD program, and they were having a classroom discussion about the platform that he worked on, and they didn't want to hear what he had to say about it. And they, he said they were telling him, this is what this does. And he said, no, I've actually flown it. So I actually know what it does. <laughs> but they didn't want to hear that. And so I think, again, and then from a broader perspective, you just open the door to more civilian military conversations, which again, looking at our recruiting numbers is just so important right now. Yeah, you're, you're right about us. You've taken hits over the, the, the course of the last decade or so. You know, I, I, when I first moved out away from you know, strictly editing and into uh, administration a little bit, uh, just before I became managing editor, one of the first things I had to do was write a, a white paper on you know, why, a, why a university press. You know, to, to me, it was a no-brainer, but you know, obviously, it, and that's something that we've had to do, you know, it seems like every five to 10 years with the press is you know, make the case for, the, for why we exist. And, and so you know, it's the same conversation we're having right now, right? Uh, Laura's articulated it quite well. Um, it, it, we don't want we don't want dummies making decisions. <laughs> it's, it's pretty much that simple, right? Uh, and, and so, how do you do that? You you, you educate them, and uh, you know, we are the medium through which that's done outside of the classroom. Um, you, you, otherwise, you, you end up being an echo chamber where you've got a bunch of retired folks that are in the classroom teaching the next generation of folks that are in, still in uniform, and they don't hear anything uh, from you know alternative perspectives. Um, and, and I think that's where we come in and we, we offer, you know, places for officers to write, some of who may be instructors, some of who may not be, uh, some of whom, if they're quite articulate, might actually still be students. Um, and, and then, of course, we bring in the other voices from academia and from, you know, di diplomats and, and whatnot. And so they get a very holistic whole of government sort of picture of, of the topics that they're discussing instead of what might be a much more limited perspective in the classroom. And so I, I see us as uh, co-curricular uh, in that, in, in terms of uh, PME. And then, uh, you know, the cross current is that, like Laura said, you know, you know folks that are learning out in the, the civilian world uh, get a, a feel for, you know, what the, the perspective is from the operator's perspective and uh, get a little bit uh, more grounding uh, away from the, the ivory tower uh, 
know, fluff that is sometimes out there. Yeah, it's uh, as I've thought about it, I like peer review writing because it really makes you think through arguments. And so too often, you know, I'll see a, a PowerPoint or somebody will talk, but they've not really in detail thought through the ideas very clearly or carefully. But when you actually get, you know, an, an article that's peer reviewed published, you've had to really carefully think through ideas and you've had to hone those ideas and they've been vetted. And I think that's a good thing. That's good for everybody. And it helps you offer. <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you, I had an experience uh, whenever, you know, I was at Air University and uh, I was in I was in uh, Changsha, China at National University of Defense Technology for a, a meeting between the PLA and I was there representing the Air, the U.S. Air Force. And I, a PLA general came up to me and this was when uh, Air and Space ASPJ uh, was was a uh, you know was in Chinese and the the general said he said Adam you know we 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 read your journal uh, and then he he went on and he said we think we can we can beat your technology but I don't think we can we can match your officers your officers think better than ours and and it was because he had been reading ASPJ in his native language in Chinese. And he thought, wow, the, these American airmen, they're, they're a really thoughtful sort of introspective group because of the kinds of writing that they were engaged in. And he didn't see that in his own officer corps. And so I thought that was one of those really important efforts where, you know, an Air Force professional journal had some, you know, significant thought uh, given to it by by an adversary. You know, we were we were just competitors back then, but now, uh, and so it's it does you know it does do quite a lot to you know to engage our allies, adversaries, and you know, and I I think it helps to demonstrate the quality of our officer corps, which which I think is you know one of those things that's you know, really important for us to do, you know, in writ large. Now, it is that time in the show where I have to take a quick break. So we'll do that. And when we get back, I, I want to toss the, you know, the question to you first, Ernest. And, and that question, it, it's kind of a simple one. Could you lay out for uh, the listeners sort of what are your areas of interest you know what kind of of articles are you looking for and if you were you know if our listeners were to say hey i might want to write for you know journal of indo-pacific affairs asor ether you know what would they want to write for you and which would be the right journal to target so you're listening to nuclecast and we'll be right back this episode of nuclecast is brought to you by the Anwar deterrent center whose mission is to educate Americans about the nuclear enterprise and strategic deterrence. And we're back. And we're talking to Ernest and Laura, the editors of the Air Force's professional journals about writing. 
So Ernest, what are the areas of interest that you have from prospective authors? Good Lord, we we have a wide array of different topics. Uh, in in fact, uh, every year I put together what I think are the top twenty five that we should should be looking at, and then I send it over to uh, the command uh, the commanders action group over at Pacific Air Forces and let them whittle it down a little bit so that I know what what they want me to focus on. Uh, while we're not PA, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we do want to publish material that's of, of relevance to uh, the the combatant command in our in our region. Uh, and so we do have the, uh, the uh, commander of Pacific Air Forces and now the, the commander of uh, Indo-Pacific Space Force. Uh, they're both on our editorial board. And so they help me kind of uh, narrow that down a bit as, as to what we're, we're focusing on. Um, we, we do you know, some deep dives into particular countries. We just published a, an issue on Thailand uh, with a lot of emphasis on uh, you know, military reform or lack thereof. Um, you know, the, the backsliding of democracy and that sort of thing. Um, but we do a lot of other things that are, you know, much more air power, space power uh, focused as well. Uh, we did an issue uh, this last year on uh, Space Force. Uh, we had uh, uh, General Ar- Armano, uh She gave us a, a piece on, uh, you know, the, the, the history of standing up Space Force and, and her role in, in being a part of that. Uh, and then uh, General Masterler uh, provided a piece as, as to, you know, what the, uh, uh, the, the new uh, combatant command would do uh, for, for helping out Indo-PACOM with their uh, space-related uh, sorts of uh, activities in the region. Uh, and so, and, and at the same time, we, we've got pieces that are, are, you know, that people wouldn't typically think of, uh, uh, medical logistics in the Indo-Pacific, for example, um, and you know, the fact that we, we don't have enough uh, fresh blood supply in, in uh, Korea if, there, if that war were to go hot over there. Um, and, and so in the coming year, we're, we're looking at a, an issue dealing with uh, environmental security. We're looking at another one that's uh, focused on Australia and its growing role in the Indo-Pacific writ large and through AUKUS, through Quad, and, and, and just through the fact that, you know, it's, it's kind of a emerging middle power in the region that, that has the potential to be perhaps even more. Um, we're, we're trying to put together an issue on Sri Lanka. Uh, my team's been over there a couple of times in the last year. Uh, we met with the chief of the Air Force there um, and had hoped to, to bring home a, a, a fully blown uh, Sri Lankan issue. And it didn't happen, but uh, we're, we're still hopeful that we'll get it one out in this, this coming year. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, we, we do a lot of stuff that's, you know, quite disparate. Uh, so you've got everything from, you know, operational stuff to, to grand strategy, to foreign policy, to logistics. And so, you know, chances are, if, if, if you're doing something that's tied to the Indo-Pacific and somebody in the military would be interested in it or somebody in, in government would be interested in it, we, we would probably have an issue uh, that, that would be suited for it. We do a lot of general issues as well so that we can kind of you know, gather those pieces that fall outside of these more thematic uh, issues that I've been talking about. And so we put those out every once in a while too, so that we can, you know, grab the good stuff that comes our way uh, that doesn't fit those themes. So a lot of different topics. And how about you, Laura? Well, to echo Ernest, he says it well, it's, it's interesting because there is such a broad range. Um, that's actually a challenge for me when it comes to peer reviewers, I will get an article in and i I've sort of had to rebuild the database of peer reviewers from scratch. And I have 
about 320 now and that's not even enough to because again I'll get you know a very interesting little niche piece on something and there's you know I don't have an expert in that list so um, I well let me just throw this out so listeners uh, there's a there's a good number of you out there if you would like to uh, be a peer reviewer in a specific area for Laura then just look up uh, you know ace air and space operations review or ether they're at air university you can find them and reach out to Laura and say hey I will be a peer reviewer for you. That ways you can ensure that whatever she gets gets a quality review, and she is you know is able to publish quality articles. Yes. So and do that. Civilian listeners. and civilian and military alike. I I really try hard to have a good balance of um, civilian reviewers who are not connected to the military, just to kind of give that that other perspective when uh, we send those out. So in terms of topics, again, similar to. Um, for uh, JIPA, we have, um, you know, obviously, Adam, as you know, deterrence is a recur- recurring topic for Ether, um, following in the footsteps of SSQ. And um, back when, um, just for general information for anyone who's interested in knowing this history, um, SSQ was uh, started in 2007, six or seven, um, in response to the AU commander at the time felt that. Uh, based on some things that were happening on the Hill, that they needed uh, a renewed focus on strategic um, topics in, at that time, it was uh, ASPJ. And if you look back at the history of the journals, um, the journals over the lifetime of the journal that is now ASOR, which is its um, sixth, uh, sixth title, they did actually have periods of time where they did cover strategic issues, but there was a period of time there in the late, late nineties, early two thousands, where they really got, had gotten away from that. And so in response to some calls from Congress, um, they felt that it was important to start that. So that's how strategic studies quarterly sort of got off the ground. And, um, so that's in the strategic focus. And when we re did rename the journals, rebranded the journals, we sort of envisioned them as two sides of the same coin. So you have Ether, which is the strategic view, and ASOR, which is the operational view for space power and air power. And so when you're thinking about topics, it's the same thing. A wide range of topics. Um, We had this fantastic article on the effect of climate change out to uh, 2099 on lift on strategic lift. And it, um, the author was actually interviewed by air and space forces magazine after she, after she published in the journal this summer. So that was fantastic. We just released a special issue of ether that, um, covers kind of features, uh, PME articles on from space PME. So all space power. And we did another dedicated all space issue, um, a year ago as well. Um, in, um, Air and Space Operations Review, um, we're looking at articles on AI now. That's very popular. Any tech um, that's operational related, either air or space power um, operations. Then we have um, uh, resilience, the more softer issues. So um, we just had that special ether issue in the fall on moral injury. Every article was on moral injury. And the um, 
feedback on that has been really amazing. Like people are coming out of the woodwork, you know, just very grateful that there's been some focus on that. So we try, and again, it's a, it's a broad range, but like Ernest said, you know, if it's related to air power and space power, and if it's of meaning for an airman or a guardian. So it doesn't just have to be about air operations or, or satellite operations. Resilience is important to airmen. So if there's a research topic on suicide, for example, we're, we're considering doing a special issue devoted to suicide. And again, an academic view. So it's, it's different than, you know, personal narratives and personal stories. Yeah. And it's, you know, I've always enjoyed over the, you know, since from 2007 to the present, there have been a lot of discussion. It's sort of been one of the, the most relevant places. If you want to read about nuclear modernization, deterrence writ large, deterrence against the Chinese, the Russians, you know, you, you, really can't find somebody who's written more about it and particularly from a an applied approach it's really been kind of one of the main places to go now i'm looking at the clock and guess what guys it's that time when bob the genie comes out so i'm gonna rub his magic lamp bob comes out and now bob grants three wishes to all of our guests solely about the topics of which we've been discussing. And so that means that you guys, and I, maybe you can split the wishes, because I don't know how generous Bob actually is. I mean, he's okay, but he's not that generous. So, Ernest, I'll give you wish number one. So if you could have any wish related to our topics, what would your wish be? Uh, I think I think I wish for uh, leadership to finally um, get it through their heads uh, that, that what we do is as relevant as what it is and, and to, you know, give us the, the, the proper uh, funding and support that we need to, to really thrive so that we can uh, stop worrying from, from year to year as to whether or not we're still going to you know, be gainfully employed. And, and, you know, even more than, than that, you know, whether we're going to be able to continue to, to do the, the, to provide the service that we feel is, is relevant and, and why we do what we do. Yeah, that's always a good one. I mean, it's, uh, it's you know, I remember my days in the Air Force and every year you worried about cuts and who were they going to, where were they going to come? So that was, stability would be great. How about you, Laura? What would your wish, wish number two? Well, Ernest took my first wish. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so in addition to that, uh, I, for me, I just really would love for people to, read more about us, read us. And um, if they're working on something that they find that they find, a, you know, that they're passionate about, that they find interesting, that they take a chance and, and send it our way. You know, it's, you do have to go through peer review, but that's the way, that's the way it works in academic journals. And so, you know, it, I'd love to get the fresh ideas and the new ideas and, and new perspectives on things. So, you know, if, if you have a new idea, that's my wish. <laughs> okay, so we have one wish left, and I'll leave it up to you guys to decide who, you know, what that wish is going to be. So, you know, bet betwixt the two of you, is there a third wish of, you know, sort of any sort that 
you you wish you could make or you wish were granted? I'm going to give this one to Ernest. Oh, okay. You're faster than me. Darn it. (laughs) You know, I guess, uh, I I guess, you know, I I wish that we could write in a world that was a little bit more or publish in a world that was a little bit more stable. Um, You know, as exciting as it is uh, to be publishing constantly about conflict and, you know, potential conflict and, you know, great power competition and strategic competition or whatever we're calling it for the, for the day, it would just be nice, you know, just to be able to, you know, have, you know, at least a, a five to 10 year stretch where we could just, you know, kind of focus on, you know, developing the world and, and what we can all do to, 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 to make it a better place, especially this time of year, right? When we're, we're getting, uh, you know, to the holiday season and we're, or, you know, New Year's coming up and whatnot. It's, it's, it's that timeless wish that, you know, we, we, we had a, an opportunity to just kind of, all get along and uh you know that's a very miss america answer by the way (laughs) well thank you world peace (laughs) so well uh thanks for joining us uh hopefully the listeners you know the listeners are always looking for that senior leader perspective and they love to hear from lab directors and such but i i wanted to you know sort of take it in a different direction because we do have so many very senior folks who have a lot to say, but we want it captured. It needs to be captured for posterity. Their experiences, you know, the things that they've seen work and not work. That's part of what I love about professional journals is that it gives you a, a chance to capture lessons learned and to talk about what works and what doesn't in an empirically rigorous way. And so for you, go ahead, Laura. I was going to say, I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, I did some research when I was at Parameters and I've done a little bit here since I've been here, but um, I discovered that if you look back, you'll see some very familiar names that who are general officers now who published in these journals when they were majors and lieutenant colonels. And it's without with few exceptions, the people that are at the top now were the ones publishing when they were at that stage. And so look to the, look to the captains and the majors and the lieutenant colonels in our journals right now, you know, they might be future leaders of the air force and yeah, space force. I mean, <laughs> one, one of the articles I've hated most over the last uh, 15 years was one, you know, Chas Saltzman wrote. And so that he was a part of, so, I mean, for me as a new guy, I can say that, you know, articles have an impact and that the, the, the guys and gals who write them tend to, you know, like you said, make their way to the top. Uh, so, and uh, so of course you, the listeners need to write as well or peer review. You got to do one or the other. It's a, it's now a Nuclecast uh, commandment. So, uh, but thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming on Nuclecast. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Adam. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you for having us. And thanks to you, the listeners, of course, for joining us on this episode, and we will see you next time. Now, I know everybody loves to come to, you know, they listen to Nuclecast because they want to hear, you know, senior leader perspectives on topics. But it's really relevant because publishing, I I tell you, you know, it's it's a fundamental question. Do you want to be Napoleon? Or do you want to be Karl Marx? And, you know, Napoleon influenced the world 
in his time. And Karl Marx, you know, he wrote 150 years ago, and he's still influential. His writings and his thinking have not gone away and very well may not go away. And so I would just encourage, you know, you, the listeners, to see how important this kind of professional writing is and how much good it could possibly do, you know, for, for the nuclear enterprise and the nuclear community. Because it matters, it gets read, and it has a lasting impact. And that was, you know, that was the whole point of today's episode. So hopefully you enjoyed it. This has been a production of the Anwar Deterrent Center, a 501c3 that seeks to educate key decision makers, stakeholders, and the public to ensure a broader understanding of the nation's strategic nuclear deterrent. Our executive producer is Kimberly Chanington, and this episode has been engineered and mixed by David Grunkle. Help us grow our followers by sharing it and follow the show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at NuclearCast.